This is the Irrelevant Information Podcast, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today we're going to talk about the Articles of Confederation. In the past five weeks, I've heard more from government officials than just about any other time in my life. The only time that really comes close is 9-11, but I definitely wasn't tuning in daily back in 2001 to hear from county officials, city officials, state officials, or federal officials. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the time, April 2020, when most people have been most aware of who their elected officials are. At least at those levels, of course, because Congress is on recess. Struggles between the different levels of government have also highlighted how complex our system really is. County judges seem to have more power than mayors, and ineffective governors are saying to follow federal guidelines, but federal guidelines are less stringent than those set by the city. It's all a bit of a mess, quite honestly. And all of this got me thinking of the first binding document this country had after it gained its independence from Britain. I'm talking, of course, about the Articles of Confederation. So I want to preface all of this by saying I'm not a historian, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a legal scholar, I'm just a dude in his windowless office with a microphone and an internet connection. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, the Articles of Confederation, officially the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, was the first constitution of the United States. That's right, the document we know today as the Constitution of the United States was actually the second one. It's a sequel. Articles of Confederation was the first one, and the opening lines improved vastly in the second one, to be quite honest. While the current constitution starts off with the very famous words, we the people, the Articles of Confederation start off with, to all to whom. It's like an angry letter to management, right? To whom it may concern. <laughs> anyway, the Articles of Confederation were put together by the Second Continental Congress between July 1776 and November 1777. They were approved in November 15th of 1777 and were fully ratified by all 13 states by March 1st, 1781. The document stated how the United States would operate as a country. It'd be a sort of League of States where each state would preserve its independence and sovereignty, but it also set the rules for the central national government pretty much legalizing everything the Continental Congress had done in terms of waging war before these articles even existed. So here's a couple of things that the Articles of Confederation did. First, and perhaps more significantly, it established the name of our country, the United States of America, which is still the name today, despite those weirdos that wanted to change it to Fredonia. It also declares the purpose of the Confederation. It said, quote, The said states hereby severally enter into a firm league of friendship with each other for their common defense, the security of their liberties, and their mutual and general welfare, binding themselves to assist each other against all force offered to or attacks made upon them or any of them on account of religion, sovereignty, trade, or any other pretense whatever. End quote. The articles also forbade assigning titles of nobility for any state official. It also declared that no state can wage war on its own without congressional approval and no state may maintain a standing army or navy. It outlined the powers of the central government as follows. 
the Congress has the sole and exclusive right to declare war, to send ambassadors and enter into alliances. Also, the central government can establish courts for the trial of pirates, as well as courts for appeals in all cases of captures. Congress also regulates post offices and the armed forces, and Congress can make requisition of states, meaning request money or supplies from states, but it can't set any taxes at the national level. Also, Congress can't declare war or appoint a commander-in-chief without at least nine states assembled. The Articles of Confederation are also kind of a debt compact that says that the Confederation will honor all bills of credit incurred before the Articles existed and the Continental Congress was off, you know, making war. <laughs> the Articles also state that they would be perpetual and can only be altered with the approval of Congress and ratification of all the states. Also, the Articles of Confederation had a provision to allow Quebec which was named Canada in the articles, into the Union if they were cool with all the above stuff, which is definitely my favorite part of it all because that means the Toronto Raptors would actually be an American team and not on a Canadian team. But anyway, it wasn't very effective. The provisions for the central government were a bit too weak. And personally, I think it's also because of the simple fact that it was the 1700s and there was no air travel or internet. Here's what I mean. When the war between the U.S. and Great Britain ended, the treaty which ended the whole thing, the Treaty of Paris, took several months to get ratified because Congress couldn't establish a quorum. There were too few delegates at any one time gathered. Think how that problem would just be solved right now, right? Another thing, since the Confederation didn't have a central army, it couldn't kick the British off their land. There were many frontier forts which the British just stayed in and there was no military force to kick them out. Congress couldn't tax at the federal level, but could only request money from states. And one thing where it showed how ineffective this system was, was in dealing with the Barbary pirates who were wreaking havoc on American ships, but the U.S. couldn't build a navy because it didn't have money because it couldn't tax at the federal level. The point is, the articles were not really an effective means of governing a country, especially one that was just getting out of a huge war. So, in 1787, the states gathered in what became known as the Constitutional Convention to create a new constitution, a sequel, the T2 to the Articles of Confederation Terminator. That's what created the constitution that we know today. So why am I talking about the Articles of Confederation? Well, the one thing that reminded me of the power of states recently is the Western Pact that was formed by California, Oregon, and Washington. As a response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the pressure being exerted by the President of the United States to quote, reopen the country, the three governors of the West Coast states formed a confederacy of their own. Now, granted, it's not a real confederacy. They're not trying to secede from the Union. It's just a pact where they set the following, and this was pretty significant. I'm going to read directly from the joint statement that the governors issued. Quote, we are announcing that California, Oregon, and Washington have agreed to work together on a shared approach for reopening our economies, one that identifies clear indicators for communities to restart public life and business. While each state is building a state-specific plan, our states have agreed to the following principles as we build out a West Coast framework. Our residents' health comes first. As home to one in six Americans and gateway to the rest of the world, the West Coast has an outsized stake in controlling and ultimately defeating COVID-19. 
Health outcomes and science, not politics, will guide these decisions. Our states will only be effective by working together. End quote. First things first, round of applause to the West Coast state's governors for doing this and showing some true leadership. But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, and the whole reason why I started thinking about this is, can they even do this? Can they say the federal government can't tell us when to do things? The federal government can't tell us when to reopen. We're going to take this matter into our own hands. No matter how much noise the president makes, can they do this? Like I said, the Articles of Confederation were outdone by the Constitution, right? They were effectively overwritten by the Constitution. So now we have a strong central government and all those rights that the states used to have aren't there anymore, right? Can states say no to the president's urging to reopen the states, whatever that means? In a word, yes. While it's true that the U.S. has a strong central government, the states still have a surprising amount of power. In fact, that tension between state and federal government is what has made for so much of the social conflict in our country, be it the civil rights movement of the 60s or gay marriage, even the legalization of marijuana. The determination of what is in the purview of the states and what is in the purview of the feds is pretty much what keeps legal scholars employed. And again, I want to restate here that I am not a legal scholar. But in the definition of what states and federal duties are in terms of public well-being, even the writers of the Constitution were pretty clear, especially in the writings of the Federalist Papers, which is a collection of essays and articles promoting the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. If you haven't read them, these essays are amazing. They go so in-depth into how the government would work, how it would handle almost everything, and I'm blown away by the genius found in them. There's 85 of them. Not all of them are like brilliant writing, but most of them are. And the authors, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay were probably time travelers because I don't know how they could foresee so many things. Anyway, going back to the matter at hand, in Federalist 39 which is the 39th essay of the 85, James Madison establishes that the U.S. would be a republic, not in the Roman sense, but in a new American sense, one which, according to historian Forrest MacDonald, is, quote, a new form of government unprecedented under the sun. Every previous national authority either had been centralized or else had been a confederation of sovereign states. The new American system was neither one nor the other. It was a mixture of both, end quote. So see, right here we can see that even in the new constitution, the states don't give up their power entirely. It's not that it's all a central authority that is supreme and overbearing and everything. There is still something. There is a mixture of a confederacy and a strong central authority that still exists, even under the Constitution. Right? So to take this further, in Federalist 45, Madison goes into establishing the roles of states and of the federal government in achieving what is ultimately the purpose for the union existing. That is people's happiness. So in Fed 45, he says, the federal government should concern itself with war, protecting people's liberty, and maintaining peace between the states. But as the state governments are closer to the people, they would be the ones who should focus on the welfare of people. Right? That's pretty clear, and it makes sense. 
Madison takes this point of looking out for the welfare and happiness of the people as being the ultimate goal of the government further in the second paragraph of Fed 45 in a truly spectacular way. He says the following, quote, It is too early for politicians to presume on our forgetting that the public good, the real welfare of the great body of the people, is the supreme object to be pursued, and that no form of government whatever has any other value than as it may be fitted for the attainment of this object. Were the plan of the convention adverse to the public happiness, my voice would be, reject the plan. Were the union itself inconsistent with the public happiness, it would be, abolish the union." End quote. So Madison calls for the abolishment of the union if it ever forgets the public good if it ever forgets the real welfare of the people. So, no, the federal government cannot force us to work in unhealthy conditions. The state protects us. Furthermore, any government that does so is unfit to be a government. And that's straight from our founding fathers. Now look, I realize that the formation of the Western Pact of States isn't a confederation. That was a jump. It was an imaginative jump, but wouldn't it be weird if we were witnessing the birth of something? Because after all, there is a framework for it in Fed 45, right? If this government is no longer looking out for the happiness of the people and what is what makes you more happy than being safe, it is unfit to govern, right? And again, I know it's not what's happening, but in any case, that Western Pact is a strong declaration of how tenuous the whole situation with the federal government is and an indictment on the lack of leadership from the president. He has forgotten the point of government. And that's not a small thing. That's why that Western Pact is pretty significant. That's why I feel we'll remember that in the future. What we can rest easy in is that the legacy of the Articles of Confederation is what right now is keeping you and I safe. And it's a strange turn because usually, historically, it's been the states that are lagging behind the federal government, but in this case, it seems like the federal government is in the wrong and the states are by and large in the right. And that's odd, it's kind of like another thing that got flipped by COVID. But thanks to the Articles of Confederation, and their legacy right now we're all a little bit safer for it and in that way the articles of confederation may be the best angry letter to management of all time that's it for this week's episode of the irrelevant information podcast the show is written edited and recorded by me, Rodrigo Nunez. I want to give a special thanks to Adrian Acosta, my buddy, who pointed me to some of the Federalist Papers resources and other resources that really informed me in this. If you like this show, please review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show. I hope this brought about some peace to your life or at least entertainment. See you next time, and as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.